92% of households that start the year with Peloton are still active a year later. 92% because of a bike? Not just bikes. We also make treadmills and rowers. Oh, let me guess, for elite athletes only, right? Nope. It doesn't matter if you're an avid exerciser or new to working out. Peloton can help you achieve your fitness goals. 92% stick with it. So can you. Try Peloton bikes, tread or row, risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. Well, Joanne Witte, a lawyer and a leader in the creation of Brooklyn Bridge Park, is joining us on today's Big Blend Radio Happy Hour show to talk about the book Brooklyn Bridge Park, A Dying Waterfront Transformed. Uh, it was co-authored by Joanne and journalist Henrik Krogius, and the book really talks about the story of how everyone can come together and transform something, right? And at this point, it was a maritime wasteland, and they turned it into an urban masterpiece. Uh, go to the website, brooklynbridgeparkbook.com. Of course, you can get on Amazon. And, uh, you know, everyone knows, Nancy and I are big park people. We travel the country on a quest to visit and cover all national park units. There's 413. And there are actual parks on the side with the community state, regional, county, um, county, forest, I don't care what it is, but people need places to go, and this is one of those stories, and I think one of the best stories in this book was this lady that wanted to dip her toes into the water, because she may not be able to go out and hang out in another natural wonder, just because of her age and where she was in life, Mm -hmm. so urban parks are super important. Joanne, I want to welcome you to the show, how are you? I'm good, how are you? Oh, we're doing good. We're really glad you can join us. And I have to say, number one, thank you for doing what you have done, along with all kinds of people, because transforming a place that is a community place. um, I just, Nancy and I have traveled for three years. We've just recently come home, just going to parks and, and working with gateway communities. And I have to say, one of the biggest things we learned was, about communities it's about people leadership changes people change there's everybody has a different battle and how do you get them all in one piece of paper so to me what you guys have done it just shows you have to keep going right at the end of the day there's it's a long haul but you stick with it that's what i got from your story just keep sticking with it right yes exactly you have to keep your eye on the prize and um it this this is um you know you said it, it earlier before the break that it uh, takes a long time and this project has taken a really long time this uh, the area where the park is today was a thriving port for many many years it was the largest port in uh, in, in the country and in the world at one point and things change and things that uh, things that were very valuable and um, had a different use, change over time. And what happened in this particular case was the port uh, moved to New Jersey and it became a completely different business, not of uh, sailing ships or even small boats where you could take things in sacks. It became Mm -hmm. a containerized, highly commercial operation. And this space was no longer valuable for that purpose. 
and the Port Authority who owned it decided that they couldn't use it anymore and that they should sell it. Uh, and since they had a, a, a mission, a public mission, um, they're in charge of the airports and and uh, different bridges and trains, and they decided they should sell it for the most money they could get because they were going to devote that money to their other missions. Um, mm -hmm. But the neighborhoods around uh, said, no, no, please don't do that. Um, this is the waterfront, and if it's not any good anymore for commercial use, we'd like to have a park. Uh, and, and it started mm -hmm. out, quite honestly, as an anti-thing, we don't want you to do what you want to do, which is to sell it to private developers and have housing, tall buildings put in front of us. Um, and mm. the neighborhood nearby is also historic and uh, well-to-do. They, they successfully mm -hmm. fought Robert Moses uh, in years past to prevent a highway from going through their neighborhood. So it was a powerful neighborhood, and they were pretty good at at stopping the Port Authority from doing anything. But you can't beat something with nothing. So at some mm -hmm. point they realized they had to do something in a different way. And the, the cool thing about the project is that eventually we were able to turn a negative into a positive. That, I think that's often very hard to do with these projects. Mm -hmm. It's great. There are a lot yes. of people who are good at, at saying no. But it's much mm. harder to get a large group of people to say yes to a common mm -hmm. vision. And, and that's what we did here. Um, eventually, we, uh, in order to come up with a plan that was practical and to get the government to actually build it, um, we had to bring together really large numbers of people, well beyond the original group that was, was successful in stopping to to really reach out to all of Brooklyn. And we had thousands of people come in to work with planners that we hired to talk about what they wanted and what they didn't want. And the planners mm -hmm. were quite skilled over something like uh, a little less than a year uh, in in talking to people, hearing them. What you quoted from the book, I remember very clearly, um, Michael Van Valkenburg, who was even then, uh, he's a landscape architect with a firm. His firm was working on the project, and um, and he was actually transformed by the process. And he'll mm -hmm. tell you today that you can't build, he doesn't build anything, and you can't build anything without a community process. Because if people aren't engaged in what you, you are proposing to do, they're just much more likely to oppose it. it it's just it's human exactly nature. Right. So, you know, it's easier to say no because no, course, then it's it means done. I don't have to take it. But if you say yeah, if you say yes, there's a risk involved. If you say yes to something and it doesn't turn out right, then you said yes. Yes, you you bear responsibility. Right. And so this was this was very interesting, and I mean we had all of these people in, and we made a made a real effort to reach out to everybody, young people, single people, families, institutions, mm. people from all over the borough who had different interests, because Brooklyn, in fact, is a, is it's like a little city. Um, it's 
three million people, and wow. and they many of wow. them are immigrants who came from all over the world. It was an independent city uh, before it became part of New York City in um, the 1880s. Mm-hmm. And so, if you want to, and and we have we have borough wide officials who are responsible for the people from all over Brooklyn. And and after World War II, Brooklyn's economy just really, really mm-hmm. sank. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the, the Brooklyn Navy Yard employed 60,000 people, um, which is a lot of people. And after the war, the Navy Yard closed, and all of those people became unemployed. And manufacturing in general left New York. And a lot of people left Brooklyn. They wanted to go to the suburbs. And so mm-hmm. the, the the demographic in Brooklyn changed dramatically, and parts of Brooklyn were just totally hollowed out. Um, and then when the port um, moved to New Jersey, all of those guys who were working along the waterfront there, they lost their jobs, the longshoremen. And so the economy in Brooklyn um, in the 70s was dreadful. I mean, they're just... Mm high unemployment, and it was a place where the city sent, you know, foster kids and uh, addiction centers and you name it. And what some social service was going to be on your block. Um, and that's, that's so, interesting you say that because I think about how many people we've talked to over the years, and they're like, yeah, it was from Brooklyn. And it wasn't, you know, <laughs> it's like, I mean, even even the Beastie Boys. About the Brooklyn yeah, thing. yeah. It's like you know what I mean. There's this, there was this, there was this, and I've never been to Brooklyn, and I've never been to Brooklyn Bridge Park. So I, I'm excited to hear more about that. But there, I've heard so many different stories. I mean, here's this band that we just played the music before you came on the show, mm-hmm. and they had both moved to Brooklyn, just you know, they, I mean, to the area basically, and they were like, this is a different thing. And and the song when they recorded the song. Brooklyn Bridge, she was talking about, yeah, you know, everybody thinks Brooklyn's this dump, basically, and, and we're like, look, it's got this contrast of what was and what is now, and it was, she was talking about this on the interview, and it's interesting because just even people we've talked about, I'm like, hey, where are you from? Brooklyn, back then, you know, <laughs> like Brooklyn, you know, or you're feisty about it, like, man, I'm from Brooklyn, so it's right. like an interesting dynamic for us on the other side of never been there, just from people talking about Brooklyn. I mean, it's like, it it seems to be kind of diverse. Like you're saying, it's a diverse it's place, diverse. but went through, some, it, went through stuff. It really, yeah, it's extremely diverse, and it's it's been undergoing significant change. So when this park, when when the port moved off and and the and this idea of a park first arose in the 1980s the economy was still really bad nobody was making mm-hmm. investments in brooklyn and um and so the idea of spending a great deal of money to build on these piers what what was what was really being promoted as a very sylvan park you know a lot of grass and trees and just you know places to to walk and that's about it um Mm. and all of the neighbors were quite comfortable with that they envisioned some very pristine park there because they didn't want something else there but that was not something that 
that the government was going to spend a lot of money to do in Brooklyn when it needed so many other things. Mm-hmm. And so at the same time, the park was percolating along. The, um, the, the borough president was trying to get it, some industries to put their back offices in downtown Brooklyn, which is very nearby. So he was looking for economic development, and he didn't see at first the idea Mm. of a park as being connected to that. As eventually some good things happened, and there were some investments made in Brooklyn, and there was finally a hotel, which which happened in the early 90s. It was the first time there had been a hotel built in Brooklyn, I don't know, in like 40 years. Um, And that was a big deal that we got a downtown Marriott. Um, and and then we had some rezoning, which al- allowed some bigger parcels to be put together, and the idea of instead of uh, offices, back offices for big companies moving to New Jersey, let's get them to come to Brooklyn and Long Island City, which is in Queens. So there was some mm-hmm. rezoning done to uh, make it more attractive for those businesses to go there. And that's mm-hmm. all going on in the background of of the park. Wow. Then there's a whole neighborhood that's right under the bridge, which is called Dumbo, and it's not a big-eared animal. It is called Dumbo <laughs> because it's down under the Manhattan Bridge overpass, if you can believe it. Oh, my God. And it's between. It's from the it's between. That's what she was talking about. It was Dumbo. And we had it a whole Dumbo. conversation. I was like, Dumbo, and I started laughing. She's like, no, actually, it's pretty cool. No, that's it. So, yeah, (laughs) it's between the Brooklyn Bridge and the Manhattan Bridge, which is just to the north of it. And it's a a relatively small area that's made up of um, uh, light manufacturing facilities. And Mm. um, even before that, they were – some of them are on the water, and there are some beautiful historic – structures there that uh, Bernice Abbott, a photographer, uh, took pictures of in the 20s and the 30s, um, and they were used to store tobacco uh, and other things in, you know, the 19th, 18th and 19th centuries. So they were act- wow. some of these were actually built, most of them were built in the um, 1800s, like what are the other things? Did they have rum in there back then? No. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Well, it's there were actually a lot of distilleries in Brooklyn, and yeah. there were all these, they called them warehouses, but they were beautiful structures um, made of brick, and they had these rounded windows and a lot of uh, columns close together inside. And uh, most of them are gone, but there are a few left. And we have we have one called the Empire Stores, which we have just um, had rehabilitated by a private developer, and it's it's housing offices for West Elm. Do you know West Elm? It's a furniture company, and Etsy is down there. Um, Detroit, um, the company from Detroit, Shinola, that's making watches mm. and bicycles and stuff. So it, there's a lot of new. Um, it's not tech really, but it's but it's it's a it's the kind of business that's relatively new. Etsy is the the company that that does um, sells people's oh, art right. and crafts. Yeah. Um, online, and then huge spaces for for group working situations like WeWork and other kinds of things like that, where 
huge warehouses have been taken over and made into these really nice workspaces for people who don't want to have their own offices. So it's been a huge rejuvenation of that area. But that was done by one guy, a developer who bought a lot of the buildings there in the 70s for nothing. And they were mm. um, and they had ma- they had light manufacturing then, but they were zoned not for for living. And eventually, artists started moving in and living there illegally. And then eventually, the guy <laughs> wanted to rezone them and you know, renovate them and rezone them and make some money on them. And those have mm. all, mostly all of those have been done. And they've all been, they're all really nice. And that's what we call gentrification. So, you know, what, what used to be a space where starving artists could live that's now gone, and we've got wealthy people living there. Oh, so, so it just changed a little bit in oh, like, okay, you can, you can, yeah. So there's like a good and the bad on this one, on on that yes, kind of yes. deal. Yes, yes, and the thing is that what happens is these things, these things start slow, and so you know somebody makes a beachhead, and 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 then eventually once they have some success, it becomes a hip neighborhood. And more and more buildings are fixed up, and the mm-hmm. rents get higher, and mm-hmm. the people who mm. live there can't afford to live there anymore. Just like timeshares on a waterfront, right? <laughs> timeshares coming into your beach. And by the way, this will be a public beach access that happens in California, Hawaii, Florida, and certain yes, places yes, where exactly. public land goes away. Yes. That's what I, well, I think this is so uh, right. important okay, about what you this, guys have done is fight this right, stuff, so, you know? This, the land I'm talking about is not public, but you can understand why yeah. the, that the public land that was available it was really really important not to ha- you know to have it be a, a really democratic public park, and mm-hmm. that's what um, that's what I spend most of my time fighting for. And I think the only way, in my estimation, the only way you can do that is by bringing in wider and ro- wider uh, base of support, because. Brooklyn has the least park of any of the boroughs, and um, and and it has Prospect Park, which is an Olmstead Park that's beautiful, but a lot of city parks are not very well maintained, and there's no place like Brooklyn Bridge Park. It's sitting right on the water, um, at the right under the it runs under the Brooklyn Bridge both north and south. It's on the harbor. You can see, first of all, the ships are all going by, and you can see the Statue of Liberty. You can see the lower Manhattan skyline. And, you know, up until now, that was all behind, you know, barbed wire, chain-link fences, and the only people who went there were dock workers. And now all of a sudden, Mm. wow, we have this chance to really do something cool, but, but it has to be for everybody. It can't just be for the you know the guys who are nearby. It can't be just a neighborhood park. It's too it's too valuable to the rest of the borough. And so once we were able to get enough people involved and have everybody understand what this could actually be, and that if mm-hmm. they didn't agree, here's the other key: if they didn't agree on what it could be, then the port authority was going to do something worse. <laughs> so yeah. having that mm-hmm. hammer. Uh, over their heads definitely helped achieve a consensus. But I think it really showed the hands of all the people who came to the meetings. 
you know, one thing we heard a lot was we want this to be a park about the water, which is what Mickey Murphy, who you quoted, was saying, that this is about the water. Don't put things mm-hmm. here that don't speak to the water. And and Michael Van Valkenburg and his team really took that to heart. The early, a lot of, you know, they're, they're really talented, but a lot, a lot of the earlier ideas were not focused so much on the water, that what can we do to bring people actually down to the water? In New York, there's waterfront. I mean, Manhattan's an island, but it's almost all built in a way that people can't get near it. So See, it has important. a lot of... To have, to have got, that ability to go down and, and spend the day with your family in the park. That's what I got from, from reading the book, uh, Brooklyn Bridge Park, you know, just... The, the the necessity of having an urban park just to be able to get out of your house mm-hmm. and, or your apartment and be able to have that breathing space, which is so important for people. And it, we need pretty places. We to need go. pretty places. You may not. You're not swimming in that water, right? That's that's like no, a normal, no. We're not yeah. swimming in it. But but um, but we are doing just about everything else in it, um, which is really cool. Um, because people said a lot of different things. They they wanted um, they, they def- some of them wanted playgrounds. So they wanted mm. to be able to. The park is very long. It's 1.3 miles long, and um, there's something called an upland that ties it all together. Um, but there's also these piers that stick out in the water. And down in Dumbo, which is on the northern side of the park, <laughs> it, that's at grade. So you can actually go down. You can, you're very close to the water itself there. The other cool thing was that a lot of the, what we discovered is that a lot of the, the structures, the built structures, like the piers themselves, were in terrible shape. And mm-hmm. instead of um, spending a lot of money, to fix certain things, we just decided that we it was better to lift them up, so take them away. So we disconnected um, several of the piers from the upland. So you essentially, you cross over water to get to the piers, and you really are surrounded by water. And on one mm-hmm. of them, for example... There's, huge, there's soccer fields, which can also be repurposed for other sports. And at the very end, you can fish. And we have sinks where you can clean the fish. And um, and that pier is connected by two little fingers that come out. But the middle is water. So you're disconnected from the land. And one of the little mm-hmm. – we, we actually took advantage of another section that was beside it where – um, the the connection was was really crumbling, and we made what we call the picnic peninsula. So it's a little spit of of a bridge, really, where water passes under it, and we put up grills. <laughs> I think we're the only park that actually has grills in a, in a lot of these other pris- you know other parks that are wow, pristine. Really? Yeah, so we have so we, have grills, we have grills and grills everywhere. No, <laughs> yeah, we don't have grills. Yeah, yeah. So that's cool. And then um, yeah, and you and said picnic. so. The idea. So can we bring our champagne? Like if we come out? Yeah, there? No, I'm serious. of course. Like, well, actually, you can't have. Just, I don't. 
alcohol in the park is not uh, suggested. No, no. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, we'll we'll just you know we'll we'll hop across the street. But I think you know again this is just an, an interesting thing for people to read to get to un- understand the complexities because this it, it's a very complex project. What what you guys have undergone? Oh, it's and, unbelievable. And it has to be maintained. It it is. And so when you're talking about all these different places, it's like everybody, yeah, it can be achieved and you just have to go for the long haul like we were saying earlier. But now it's you've got this balance of having to put everybody's you know, we have fishermen, we have people who want to have a picnic, we have you know, people who want to do their art over here. I mean, because you have art too. There's theater, there's all kinds oh, of yeah. stuff going on. Yeah, we have park. We, so, we've got yeah. we have a lot of recreation, which we thought was really important. So we have basketball courts, we have bocce courts, we have handball courts, um, we have soccer, we have beach volleyball. I think we have the only beach volleyball in New York. Um, we have um, a bike greenway. We have um, bouldering. Um, we do have um, bouldering. Yeah, that's <laughs> it's like climbing, but it's um, it's without oh, the rope. Okay, yeah. Yeah, okay. so there, well, you can tell we, we have kayaking. We have kayaking. We have sailing. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that you can do there. But then there's a lot of um, things like we have these huge flower fields that are designed to. I mean, there was a lot of sustainability built into this park. Mm-hmm. In fact, Good. when um, we were hit with Superstorm Sandy, the parts mm-hmm. of the park were completely underwater. But oh, because wow. of the things we had done. To prepare for this, um, we did so much better than um, any place else because we had we use seventy percent of the water in the park um, is uh, comes from cisterns that collect water and recycle mm-hmm. it. So we use gray water to water all of our plants. We used we, cool. we used native species that were selected very, very carefully, and a lot of the a lot of them are planted in a very sandy mixture, so that water um, drains quickly. So the the salt water that came in drained quickly, and then we were able to flush the plants very quickly of the salt. But a lot of the oh, plants cool. are much more salt tolerant because mm-hmm. we selected them that way. We also, it's a very noisy site because um, it's right next to the highway, the Brooklyn-Queens Expressway. So we built a berm to attenuate Mm. the noise, and we planted it. And so that serves, you know, more than one function. On the garden front, on the garden front also, I was reading about September 11th and how you did a tulip garden, too. The tulips, yep. Well, that's one. Of, actually, that's one of the pictures I wanted to send you. I've got, I have, oh, good, uh, I've good. got four, fourteen pictures that I'm going to send you um, that give you a whole, a wide range. We have very cool playgrounds and very kind of innovative playgrounds. We've won all sorts of awards for them. At every entrance, we have something that if you're just coming with a toddler and you want to spend a little time, you can do it there, or you can walk further into the park. Um, and we have lots and lots and lots of programs that are going on, all of which are free. So we have so books is- under the bridge, all kinds of, um, you know, exercise things. We have an environmental education center. The um, Something that used to be used to weigh tobacco is now um, the, uh, the home of 
the Arts at St. Anne's, which is a theater, not-profit, not-for-profit theater company. We have a public art... Pro- 92% of households that start the year with Peloton are still active a year later. All because of a fancy bike? It's not just a bike. Peloton makes treadmills, too. Eh, all treadmills are the same. Our treadmills can adjust speed and incline automatically, so you never break your stride. Whether you're squeezing in a power walk or training for a marathon, Peloton can help you achieve your fitness goals. 92% stick with it. So can you. Try the Peloton Tread risk-free with the 30-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. 92% of households that start the year with Peloton are still active a year later. 92% because of a bike? Not just bikes. We also make treadmills and rowers. Oh, let me guess, for elite athletes only, right? Nope. It doesn't matter if you're an avid exerciser or new to working out. Peloton can help you achieve your fitness goals. 92% stick with it. So can you. Try Peloton bikes, tread or row, risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. Program. I mean, there's just so much happening. And we have a fabulous website. So we're totally accessible. If you, you can use your phone, you can go to a computer, anything you want to do. And the signs, um, we have a lot of historic signage that's all tied back to a website so that you can find out anything you want about either the plants, the ecology, the, you know, the butterflies, or the history, or the, the economic history, or the cultural history, Sojourner Truth. Landed at Fulton Ferry, actually. I mean, there's just, it's so rich. It's amazing. Well, I just want to just ask a few questions here because I, just, sure. the thing to me, what's important is that this actually happened. I mean, you've got this bounty <laughs> that is there now. You know, Brooklyn Bridge Park, you can go there, just Google it, everyone, you'll get on the website. And um, it, it's become a hub, a, a community and hub of, you know, yeah, you can go to a garden, you can kayak, you can do all these amazing things, but there is so much work that goes behind it, and, you know, in writing this book, and this is what I think is very interesting and important about what your book is, Brooklyn Bridge Park, is that it is actually helping other communities when they go through things. You know, Nancy and I have been traveling for a lot, going to all these national park areas and gateway communities, and and it's not just the three years we're on the road full-time, it's We've been doing it for our entire lives. And when we look at gateway communities in, of these park areas or areas that have an industrial uh, segment, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of times, mm-hmm. like in San Diego County, they've turned their industrial areas into breweries. So there's this transformation that can happen. And I think that's what's beautiful about your book is it gives people this process. This is what we did, and this is what we went through. And it gives them also this hope that, yes, at the end of the day, it can happen. Maybe it's going to take quite a few years, depending on your area. Um, you know, We see places that maybe have gone through a fire or a natural disaster. Maybe it is, it is the industrial side. Maybe it is a port. Maybe there's just so many places that need to also just reclaim land. I mean, mm-hmm. that's the thing. To me, your story and, and Brooklyn Bridge's story, the park, is about community standing together to actually fight for an urban space. We, have, we're, we, we need to protect the spaces in wilderness, but I think the urban space, if we don't have that, people are going to go nuts. We, if we don't have urban space to go and play and we're all locked up in a little apartment somewhere, we're going to go nuts. So we need, we need to have that quality of life, and that's what urban parks do. 
and it does provide tourism too, which oh, is an yes. economic been, bracket well, that I think is the, important. The, the, the park has been both an economic engine itself and a reflection of the revitalization of Brooklyn. It's it's really mm-hmm. it's both, and and that's been it's been great because I mean Brooklyn is now undergoing a renaissance. I mean, the, the number of people mm-hmm. who visit this park, they wa- many of them walk across the Brooklyn Bridge. They're coming from outside the borough. It's so amazing to see all these people walking across the Brooklyn Bridge. And they all, a lot of them have tour guides. But then again, a lot, a lot of people are coming from all over Brooklyn to take advantage of stuff that they can't find anywhere else, or they're coming from the city. You know, from other boroughs mm. because it's extremely accessible. If to take, oh, if you take a subway, you can get there very, very easily. You don't need to drive, and because that's there's cool. and there's you know there's leagues, there's soccer leagues, there's baseball leagues. We have events like Under Armour sponsored stuff, and um, some of the soccer leagues have uh, or the soccer teams, the professional soccer teams have sponsored things, um, and we we've, we've had we have. Um, we have science going on in the park. We have like astronomy, you know, where where you can mm-hmm. use a telescope and and learn about science. It's or you can take a little. It's called seining. You take um, a, mm-hmm. um, you know, when I it's it's uh, one of those bags sort of thing. It's it's, it's um, you put it in the water. Uh, you walk mm-hmm. in the water with it and you pull it up and you get all kinds of amazing stuff. In in the in so the like, East River. Oh, oh, like gold, like when you go out with a gold panning, not gold panning. What do you call those little things? Yeah. You go out looking and and, and it does that like little metal, metal, detect- metal detecting. It's made of it's made of like string and rope and and you just wow. put it in the water and then you pull it back in. It's like a rope, little rope thing. And um and so they we wow. have school kids coming in and doing that um on a regular basis. So there's there's so much going on. And it's such an amazing resource. But I think you're absolutely right that about the – if you want to, I think, first of all, reclaiming these spaces. And, mm-hmm. and I, I did some research for the book about other places um, and how they're treating their waterfronts and, uh, and how they're funding it. And um, it's, it, is, it is complicated. This, this site, for example – if you had seen this site before, you would never have imagined it could look the way it does now. You just couldn't have imagined it because so much infrastructure actually had to go into it. In, in mm-hmm. there, there was only one place on one pier that was actually landfill, and it wasn't being supported by pilings alone, that we could um, actually have soil and plantings. And um, if you looked at that, you you would just be amazed in the short period of time it, the trees are enormous. There are places you can go on that pier where there's water gardens and beautiful flowers, and you're totally hidden. Mm. You're by yourself. There are other places where there are huge lawns facing in different directions. But mm. but that's all created. Um, now some of it's yeah. some of it's still flat, but the berms. A lot of this stuff has been created. And it's been created in a smart way, and it's and it's, but it's nevertheless it's been created, and it it took a lot of imagination, but also a lot of money. So this park has yep. cost four hundred million dollars. That's wow. a lot of money. You know, um, we thought in the beginning it was going to cost maybe a hundred and fifty, and 
we're not done yet, <laughs> and it's going to cost 400 So how do you and, – and then you have to maintain it once you build it. So how, where do you get the money for that? When you're dealing with um, a lot of places, oh, even New York City <laughs> – you just that's that's just a lot of money and um and it's hard yeah. there are so many things competing for that money um you know i mean i mean you know what it's like hospitals public hospitals cops firemen schools and so you have to make a decision that it's worth spending the money on you have to convince the government that it's worth doing. And then after you build it, you have to maintain it. And in New York, for example, and I don't think it's different anywhere else, um, that's the hardest part. You know, you can mm-hmm. borrow money. The city can issue bonds. And that's where, that's the way they get their capital money to build infrastructure. They issue bonds, and then they have to pay them off. But to maintain things, it comes out of tax revenues, which is a totally different mm-hmm. source. And that's even But I think it balances money. out at the end of the day when you look at real estate, how real estate will do better. You know, if you have a long term tourism. tourism, that's the thing to us. When when you create urban spaces, you're giving a visitor an experience whereas a visitor may not come in. So we always see that we do seminars on, on sustainable tourism and um, how that balance happens between parks and tourists coming in and how that can actually feed a lifelong supply, if you do it in a sustainable way, that could be year-round. And it doesn't need to be weekends, just weekends, because that that's a natural almost. Um, we're talking about year-round daily tourism that is mm-hmm. sustainable, not over-the-top crazy, so that mm-hmm. you don't like living in a place. It, it's really an important factor that if you beautify a place and you bring in these parks, then someone, even if they come in for a day, maybe they'll go to a museum, maybe go to an art gallery, they'll buy from the stores that maybe not everybody in the community is always going to purchase from. That's that extra boom. And then you'll get an extra gas station that you can get gas on the corner. You know, I, well, maybe not. You need an extra taxi in New York. I don't know. <laughs> I've not been to exactly where you are. Everyone's different. Mm. But, but that's the reality is you have to look at what does the community need and want. But when you beautify a place, and then you bring the right people in that are interested in nature, family, history, art, that kind of thing, then you're welcoming your next revolution of neighbors, and you're bringing the right people in to your neighborhood. So I think these parks, it's such an important thing, and you've also created this idea, not an idea, an actual thing, that you, no matter how long it takes, that word of commitment is there, doing the right thing for the community, standing, getting people to spend money on it, getting the, the city and the government to do it, but it's showing that you are going to even move into a strong community or you're visiting a community that did something. I think you've even got a tourism factor just for people going to to see what the outcome was. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, people loved I mean, it, we have huge visitorship. At, um, they Everyone knows about Brooklyn Bridge Park. It's in every foreign t- uh, tourist book, and mm-hmm. um, it's, I mean, it it's be been extremely successful. But you can also, I, there's a, there was a picture in the book that you may have seen with the bathrooms. So mm-hmm. our bathrooms have 12 languages on them, but they're not, fa- they're not to serve the foreigners. They're to serve the people in Brooklyn. It's the 12 most common languages mm-hmm. in Brooklyn. 
And we're proud of well, that. I, to... I mean, it's a melting pot. It's amazing. There are people, there are Hasidic couples uh, who court there because they have to do so in a public place so they can come there. Mm-hmm. And then there are um, Caribbean people who come there um, for the for picnicking. There are people playing soccer. There, are, I mean, it's just amazing. Just walking around the park, you hear all of these people speaking different languages, mm-hmm. and they're all from different places. That's cool. And often they're from different places in Brooklyn. <laughs> That's it. But I think that we do actually have to have multicultural signs because even just on the on. The, I know you said this isn't for tourists, but on the rest of the country. Um, we in, invite international <laughs> visitors here, and then we go, but we're not going to, like, try to even reach out to you with the language, you know. And so it's like it's, it, it needs to happen. So that's another – I know you didn't do it in that way, but I think we need to have, have that happen. Other countries have that. Yeah, they do. What, oh, yeah. What, do you, what, is, what is one tip that you can give people in a community right now that are looking at try to unify people? How do you keep people unified I mean, because I've been into I've been in community meetings where there's been fist fights, there's been, you know, uh-huh. checkbooks thrown. I've been That's through all we're kinds out of. West. I, I mean, I've I've seen some things go down in these meetings. Like, you know, you want to go to the movies, go to a community meeting and see what goes on. It's oh, listen, I, I know, I know, and 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 you know, we've had, um, it, you know, we ha- we have had some a certain amount of success, but. But also, um, it's very difficult to keep community consensus. And one thing that happens is that the pe- that the community changes. So the co- the community you mm-hmm. made a bargain with on one day is not the same community five years later that Biggest still problem. remembers that bargain yeah. or or cares about it. And that's one thing that has happened to us is um, we the agreement on the financing of the park was that the government would pay the um the capital cost but that we would have re- revenue generating things in the park that would cover the cost of the maintenance and operations and we didn't want the um we didn't want that to be the programming we wanted the programming to be free because it's a park a public mm-hmm. park but uh, the 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 original concept um really like from the early 90s was that we had to have these revenue generating things, but they shouldn't take up more than about 20% of the space. And everyone mm-hmm. said, you know, people signed, literally signed signed it. Then in the late 90s, when we did the plan, um, we went... 92% of households that start the year with Peloton are still active a year later. All because of a fancy bike? It's not just a bike. Peloton makes treadmills too. Eh, all treadmills are the same. Our treadmills can adjust speed and incline automatically so you never break your stride. Whether you're squeezing in a power walk or training for a marathon, Peloton can help you achieve your fitness goals. 92% stick with it. So can you. Try the Peloton Tread risk-free with the 30-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. Membership fees apply after free trial. Cancel any time. Can I be real for a second? That goal you have to exercise and eat better, you really can do it. But nobody is going to do it for you. And nobody has to because you can do it if you have the right tools and a community that cares about helping you get results. And that's us, Beachbody. It's as convenient as your TV or laptop, but you need to decide that you're worth it. Let us help you succeed. Here's how. Go to Beachbody.com to claim your free membership and start feeling great. And through it um, extensively. And at the time when we thought it was going to be much less expensive to maintain the park, we thought, 
okay, people said a hotel, that's fine, check, we can have a hotel. And maybe some uh, restaurants and, other, you know, concessions and things like that. Then when we found out how expensive it was going to be to maintain all of the marine structures, um, we realized it was going to take about $15 million a year to run the park and that it wouldn't, we couldn't use those other things. And so we took a fresh look at all the things that could be compatible with the park but also generate the needed revenue in the smallest space because we didn't want to mm-hmm. waste, you know, we mm-hmm. didn't want, and, but we did also didn't want to have, you know, uh, a commercial office building. There was no market for it there or, you know, a car dealership. I mean, all these crazy things, retail, destination retail. We looked at every single thing we could do, and we ended up deciding that residential was, in fact, the best revenue generator in the smallest space. And we got it down to uh, less than 10% in contrast to Mm -hmm. 20%. In contrast to what the Port Authority would have done, which was 80 or 90%. So the people who were involved at that point said, well, we don't, we're not sure we like the idea of housing. I mean, we we understand it's, it's, it's on the edge of the park. It's not in the middle of the park, but some people said, well, it's not right, it's a, you know, a park should be public, we shouldn't have, on the other hand, if you think about parks, there is housing around the edge of them, so, and you want people to be living there, because you want eyes on the park, and you want people there 24-7, and so there are, there are arguments on both sides, but eventually, since the government wasn't going to do it unless unless it was agreed, everybody said okay. They, you know, the big all the big community mm-hmm. organizations said, okay, we can live with this. This is compared to what we would have had. This is great. But now here we are, another ten year, almost ten years later, and the the elected officials aren't the same ones, and there are all kinds of new people who have moved in, and they don't know what the deal was, and they don't really care what it was, and some of the old ones never liked it anyway. And, you know, now they've got strange people coming in through their neighborhood who weren't coming before, and maybe we should get rid of the basketball court. I mean, there's all kinds of um, backlash um, that is very real. if, If you walk into a neighborhood... You know, and let's just say we just moved there and we go to the park and you take it for granted that the park is the park, right? And then you start to think, well, I don't really like that part of it, but I like this part of it. You don't have any clue the struggles that have gone into making of something. And that happens all over the country. Well, that's why I think the book is so important. Yeah, because we see that in Yuma. They they had to reclaim the banks of the, the Colorado River. And the community, it's like a 10-year project, and 52-something organizations had to come together, and they were very successful in doing it, but part of the community doesn't even know how that happened, where it came from, and then they walk in with new ideas, and the people who work their butts off for mm-hmm. it are like, oh, bite me. <laughs> I know. I know. Yeah. It's a problem. People come in and it say, is. gee, why did they do that stupid thing? Or... You know, yeah, yeah. That's funny. You have to, you have to. Everybody has to work together, but then the change does happen because 
I think what's interesting is people have to understand that it is a long-term project because mm. nothing happens overnight, you know. And right. so when we watched the Yuma transformation, it was actually it was over 15 years ago, and it was like yeah. this is where the waterfront begins, and here's our hummingbird garden. It was one honey, like a, a honeysuckle plant, mm-hmm. and that was the beginning. And it was on right. top of a landfill, which, you know, you couldn't envision unless you saw the landfill before. But now it's thriving, just like the same story of Brooklyn Bridge Park. I mean, it's that little step, little step, take two step back, ten steps forward, then yeah. five steps back. Yeah. It is that back and forth thing. And, and I think that's where when you look at a community as a whole, everyone's going to fight for what they want, but there is a coming together at some point. Is it? Is there a coming together at some point? That was, it was my, my point was, is that? Do you have that actual come together, or is it just that continual keep moving forward, and uh, sometimes it comes together and then sometimes it doesn't? Well, it gets, it's hard because what happens is um, elected officials, um are you know if they're if they're <laughs> consti- they're very political <laughs> that i mean that's the way it goes so if they think that their 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 new constituents are going to be happier to oppose the thing then they're going to oppose it mm. and all of us that's exactly what happened to us was that one of our state senators who had been a complete stalwart and had gotten us money and had fought against the bad stuff and fought for the good stuff and he eventually lost um he'd been in he'd been around for 30 years and he didn't he didn't really lose because of of the park he he lost for a lot of other reasons but one of the things that his opponent ran on was uh for part of the neighborhood that he was representing, um, they had been opposed to housing from the beginning. And so he, he decided that would be a, a good position for him to take to get that constituency to vote for him. And once he mm. beat the guy who had been the huge supporter, then the whole dynamic changed. And mm. those yeah. people... Um, those people had a, mm. had a new platform and a new voice, and it turned out mm. this guy was very happy to make that a big, big issue, and so it made it. It mm. basically that it became opposing the housing became a litmus test for new people mm. who were running for office. You could no longer say you were in favor of housing because you know. The, because the constituents now felt like, well, if we could get rid of housing, <laughs> that's great. And it was housing at at the south end of the park, where the where the, the historical opposition had always come from, because they're not oh. even on the park. They don't actually. They have to walk to the park, but they feel great mm. possessiveness about the southern end, and they didn't mm. want this housing here. <laughs> and then they ended up joining forces with new people who'd moved in to um, condominium housing um, that preceded the park, and now they didn't want their view blocked. And, you know, and it just became it became a nightmare. And, and I feel like there should be dogs running around and sprinkling and all the, the you know, the fire my, hydrants. This is mine. This is mine. But I know that's how it is. Yeah. Okay, we, we're, we're at that point. We have to play happy hour. I hope you're ready. Are you okay. ready for happy hour? I okay. am. I am. It's, it's, it's time. 
We're going to the historic district. <laughs> suddenly have the urge to go tinkle on everything around oh, nice. <laughs> just say it's our land it's our land it's our property we can do what we want no okay <laughs> joanne if you could spend happy hour with anyone alive or passed on is it going to be a politician <laughs> i'm just kidding no um, no. So no it's going to be frederick law olmstead <laughs> oh, okay she's got she, okay you've, you've got the okay frederick law olmstead okay and Okay, so what are you going to drink? Where are you going to spend happy hour? And what would you talk about? Okay, so um, I don't drink I don't drink hard liquor and I don't like beer, so it has to be a glass of red wine. Good, um, good. And I'd you like to spend it with him. I'd like to spend it with him in Brooklyn Bridge Park. And the reason is because he is he is a really fascinating character. He was a very well-rounded, really smart, competent person who did not start out as a landscape architect at all. He was a, he was a farmer. He was a writer, a journalist. He ran the Sanitary Commission during the Civil War, which was like the first Red Cross operation. Um, but he did he did become the uh, the father of landscape architecture actually and i've read the story of the building of um of central park and it's mm. remarkable it's similar it, it didn't have it doesn't have the grassroots aspect to it but it definitely has the political aspect where the um it, was it going to be a city park or a state park? We definitely faced those issues. We had um, because we had land that belonged to both of them, and, and they both contributed in the beginning. So, govern, who's going to govern this park? And then um, the, the mayor of the city was was it, they were Democrats. The city politicians were Democrats, and the the uh, state politicians were Republicans. And the the Democrats were kind of you know Tammany Hall. They were corrupt. Um, and the guys in Albany were thought to be much, you know, more honorable and um, competent, mm-hmm. and um, and they dominated. But but Olmsted had to deal with this. He became the superintendent of Central Park before it was actually built, and he had to contend with these two sides, the Republicans and the Democrats. Even after he he did a win, winning design design for Central Park mm-hmm. with. Um, with his partner Vox, um, uh, Calvert Vox, and he, even after his design won and he had to build it, he was always subject to political hassles. The, the commissioners said, no, we, it's true we like that, but we, we don't really want this. Can't you get rid of this bridge or move this promenade over here? And you know what? You're spending <laughs> way too much money. And not only that, we want it done tomorrow because it's yeah. important politically to have it done tomorrow. It was so crazy. It was the same kind of nonsense that we had to <laughs> wade through ourselves. So I would love to know, and I'd love to know what he thinks of the park, how it looks. I think he would really like it because his his design idea for Central Park was a green sward and the notion that everything is related to everything else and that it's not really about little ornamental things. It's about the concept. And Michael mm. really had a concept for this park, which he has been carrying out. 
and I think, in fact, Olmstead would like it. But I would love to talk to him about all this because I think it would be a hoot. And you're going to do it in Brooklyn Bridge Park, right? That you're going to have yes, wine. Yes, of course. In plastic cups that nobody's going to know about because very cool. Exactly. Very cool, <laughs> Joanne. It's it's been a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you so much for joining us, everyone. Again, the book is Brooklyn Bridge Park: A Dying Waterfront Transformed. It's by Joanne Witte and journalist Henrik Krogius. And you can go to the website BrooklynBridgeParkBook.com. It's also on Amazon. That's the best place to get it to, and uh, connect with us. It's really especially if you're in a city that's in, into transforming a piece of land or a waterfront and or just actually coming together to make things happen and getting it done, uh, it's definitely a book to read because, um, yeah, getting people on the same plate and then keeping that plate moving <laughs> forward and, like, good luck with that. But you can make it happen. <laughs> Thank you. You can absolutely make it happen. <laughs> you Thank you so much, Joanne. It's been a real pleasure. Mine too. Thank you. Thanks. Bye-bye. Membership fees apply after free trial. Cancel any time. Can I be real for a second? That goal you have to exercise and eat better, you really can do it. But nobody is going to do it for you. And nobody has to because you can do it if you have the right tools and a community that cares about helping you get results. And that's us, Beachbody. It's as convenient as your TV or laptop, but you need to decide that you're worth it. Let us help you succeed. Here's how. Go to Beachbody.com to claim your free membership and start feeling great.